Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast, I ask various people what five things they would like to put in a time capsule. That's why we called it My Time Capsule. Anyway, my guest this week is the comedian and radio host, Arthur Smith. You'll recognize Arthur's voice from Excess Baggage and Loose Ends on Radio 4 and Endless Panel Games. Arthur has been a compare and stand-up comedian since 1977 and has appeared at the Edinburgh Festival regularly since then. In fact, I think every year. But Arthur is also a writer. He co-wrote An Evening with Gary Lineker, the play, and he's written several books, including his own autobiography, which is entitled My Name is Daphne Fairfax obviously. Anyway, let's find out what the five things that Arthur would like to put into a time capsule are. Arthur Smith, how lovely to be here in your gorgeous kitchen. Well, well thank you, Mike. Here in Ballam, gateway to the south. Ballam, I am the mayor of Ballam. Are you? Well, self-proclaimed. <laughs> Nightmare as well. I don't do days. No. But I, if you, I'm sure if you Googled Mayor of Ballam, my name would come up because there isn't a real one anyway. I've never had a reason to Google that before, though. Well, now you, now you I do. do. Here I go. I'm <laughs> going to do it as soon as I get home. Yeah, well, you know, I had a plan at one time we were going to build a wall around Ballam <laughs> and get Clapham to pay for it. Turned out that Clapham didn't want to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, here we are. We've got this um, time capsule that I brought. Nice shiny one I brought for you. Mm, I okay. like it. Yeah. So um, what's your first item? Well, it's some yoghurt. Yoghurt. Uh, this is, um, as you can see here, Mike, and you can't see if you're listening, but I'm eating some yoghurt. Here we go. Because 
It always reminds me of my father, because it only appeared yogurt in about the 70s. There was no yogurt before then. (laughs) And as far as my father was concerned, it was uh, was just milk that had gone off. (laughs) And he always called it, because it used to have an O in it in those days, in the spelling, and he always called it Yoghurt. <laughs> so I, whenever I have yoghurt, I think of Yoghurt and of my father. And I also think of him because even though he despised Yoghurt, if he saw that it was going out of date, he would eat it because he was from the generation who didn't want to waste anything. And also he had spent two and a half years of his life as a prisoner of war. Uh, a lot of which he was starving. He, his weight dropped to six and a half stone, and he's about the same size as me, or he was. And um, so he was always very particular. He would never leave a crumb on his plate. If he had a crumb on his tie, he would delicately pick it off and eat it, mm. which always makes me think of the hard times my father must have had and how lucky I am that I could just have this yoghurt and if I don't really want all of it, I could chuck it away, really. But And I actually enjoy yoghurt. But my father hated yoghurt, <laughs> or yoghurt, rather. And <laughs> so I'm taking some yoghurt with me you in, in the time capsule to in. remind me of my father and to remind myself that how lucky I am that I never have been starving. No. Where was he a prisoner of war? He, well, he was first a prisoner of war in an Italian camp when he, after three months, he got two letters from home from his fiancée, one of them saying she was seeing a Canadian airman and the other one written three months later but read by my father immediately after now she'd married him. Oh, my word. So that was a pretty miserable it's time. It's a blow, isn't it, when you're locked up with the Germans with the guns. Yeah. And, it, and then, uh, then he worked as slave labour down a copper mine in Saxony and he ended the war in Colditz Castle. Really? Yes, which was... Um, very famous, obviously, and it still is quite well known. I mean, there was a film about it in the year of my birth, and then there was a TV series. Although my father never really knew why he was there, because it was for officers, really. And his job was to, quote, look after the officers. And <laughs> he had, like, Lord Lassels and various famous people. His job was essentially to wipe the arse of a bunch of old Etonians, <laughs> which, of course... We can continue to do it. We all do it, <laughs> even now. Yeah. And now even more so. So what sort of area of the services was he in? He, well, he was in the army, yeah. he, um, but he was captured at the Battle of El Alamein. And he, I did a show about my father last year at Edinburgh at the festival. Uh, and I, I got, we got him to write down his memoir before when he retired. So mm. there's an account of the brutal day that he was captured in North Africa and <clears throat> I took him back to Colditz when he was 70 years old and we went to, to the place where he'd been in prison you know 45 years before did he want to go back? <laughs> oh no I think he was quite up for it the uh, <laughs> uh, part of it at that point had turned into a turned into a hotel and he brilliantly rang down the room service and asked for a shuffle. <laughs> he always had a great sense of humour, my oh, Six extra sheets. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When he yeah. climbed down there. Climbed out the window, yeah. <laughs> he was, uh, and I always remember as well when he was talking about how, how hungry they were at the beginning of his I- imprisonment, how he, they used to eat rats 
And I said to him, I said, what does rat taste like, Dad? He said, oh, you know, it's a bit like dog. <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh, pretty clear. He was a funny man, your dad, wasn't he? He was a, he was a, he was a funny, I was very privileged to have him as my father, really. I realised that looking around at some of my friends' parents, that I was very lucky in my upbringing. And he became a policeman after the war. Yes, it? he became PC Sid Smith of the Metropolitan Police. In fact, if you look behind me, yeah, I've got a picture on the wall. Oh, yeah. And that is my dad in about 1950 yeah. in his, uh, with a drunken woman trying to kiss him <laughs> somewhere near the old Vic. He looks, and, uh, he's really, he looks a bit disturbed. Yeah, like. he's thinking, oh, no, what am I, I going to get out of this? <laughs> and obviously there were people watching this happen and it was like, give us a kiss, copper! <laughs> and he said, well, I'll have to arrest you if you lose it. Yeah, go on, arrest me, I'd love it. <laughs> So uh, put me in handcuffs. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> so he had to arrest her. He didn't really like arresting anyone. After having been what he'd been through, I think, and been a prisoner himself for two years, he did. He only really wanted to arrest people if uh, if they needed a room for the night, as uh, it were. Yeah. He was a, a very proper gentleman. Yeah. He was a sort of London Bobby, as mm. but there used to be Bobbies, didn't they? I don't think yeah. we say that anymore, do we? He told me once there was a bloke came up to him who was ex-services and saluted and said, I was drunk. And my father returned his salute, said, about turn, quick march. <laughs> and off the bloke went. Yeah. So he didn't have to arrest him and then spend the next morning in court. Yeah. <laughs> so he was a traditionalist when it came to eating food, though. Yes. He didn't like foreign muck. He, no, no, yeah, poncy food, he used to call it. Uh, he, didn't, yeah. he didn't really like salad either, as far as he was so that was rabbit food. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, no, he, he, was, he liked corned beef hash a lot. Nice. I think they, that, was about, that was the sort of stuff they used to have in the army, I suppose. Yeah. It's funny how you stick to those things that you found when you were young. Yeah, it? and nothing else will be as good. I still like a Weetabix. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to take a large pot of yogurt, yeah, and we're going to put it inside the time capsule to remind you of your dear dad. Yes, that would um, be lovely. So, what's your second item? It's a flamingo, obviously, uh, perhaps a small miniature flamingo. Okay. We can fit a large one. We'll get a full-size one if you want. Okay, yeah. I mean, they'd be expensive, I warn you. Well, don't worry, no expense spared. uh, Funny enough, I have a friend who's quite wealthy and organises all sorts of strange things, and he he hired some penguins for the opening of some big thing in somewhere in Saudi Arabia or Dubai or somewhere where they were opening a ski slope. Obviously, there's no snow, so... But anyway, it was a huge event, and he hired... I think 40 penguins, or anyway. <laughs> but apparently it costs $40,000 a day or something for a penguin. Much more expensive than an actor. Yes. But anyway... this but maybe is more not... entertaining. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, they're always entertaining, aren't they, penguins? Yeah. And actors are often not. Well, if you put anyone on stage with a penguin, no-one's going to look at the human, are they? No. But, so, why do you want a flamingo? Well, because it was a particular day sometime, I don't know, it was the 80s, and I was in France trying to write something, and I wasn't really going anywhere, and I was feeling miserable, and I had a bit of a broken heart, and I was knocking back the brandy, and I, and I was staying with a friend, but he was going out all day, so I used to sort of sit there, and I thought, oh, this is rubbish, what's the point of anything? 
So I thought, well, I've got to make an effort here. So I took a bicycle and went out cycling into the Camargue, which is that beautiful, flat, watery plain in the south of France, famous for its flamingos. And I I spent a long day cycling. It was lovely. And I saw a, a church on the horizon just by itself, an old church in the middle of nowhere. So I went cycled towards that, went in, and it was a bar, as it turned out although there was no one else in there, and there was a very old lady wearing black serving, and I ordered a beer or something, and then i just recently learnt the French word for flamingo, which is flamant. So I said, Oh, est-ce que vous avez des flamands viennent ici? Do you get flamingos come into this bar? And the woman looks at me, like I was insane. <laughs> what a weird. Who is this guy who's coming asking about flamingos? But then after a second or two, I saw the realisation come upon her face that this was a joke uh-huh. and that I was really having a bit of a laugh. And I, I mean, I had a punchline along the lines of do they fall over in the bar a lot. But anyway, but I just suddenly, she went from being utterly perplexed and dark to her face opened into laughter in a way and I ma- it made me think maybe this woman hasn't laughed for 10 years and just this passing tourist with his silly little gag and I thought oh yeah that's what I do I make people laugh and this woman has laughed again and you know she showed you know, through her cracked teeth the, those that she had and I just remember thinking, oh, yeah, and then I went home and I managed to write the show in mm. the end. And it, so I always think of the flamingos, uh, the flamingo in the bar, as it <laughs> were, is, uh, which reminded me that it's a good thing to make people laugh, as you know, Mike. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, you know, the laughter disappears very soon, but nevertheless... It's for a moment. It's a, laughter is the one true metaphysical consolation. As Anthea Turner, I think he was, said. <laughs> or maybe it wasn't. Maybe I've perverted a Nietzsche quote, something like that. you spent a lot of time in France in your life, haven't you? I have, yes. I, it, funnily enough, and I'm thinking of doing a show uh, where I teach the audience French uh, next year at Edinburgh, or this year in Edinburgh. Uh, and about my year, I spent a year as an English assistant in, in a school in Paris in my, when I was 20. I had my 21st birthday up the Eiffel Tower. And my father's 21st birthday was stuck in a prisoner of war camp. So I've always felt quite privileged in a way. And it was a fabulous year. And uh, et c'est bien de parler une autre langue à part d'anglais. It's good to speak another language other yeah. than your own because it makes you understand your own language and, you know, finding out about different cultures makes you realise we're just all hopeless human beings together. And nationalism is is not a very agreeable quality, I find. I absolutely agree with you. But unfortunately, I am really bad at all foreign languages. <laughs> I have no ability at all. I've tried. My brain just doesn't take it in. Well, I'm not sure if I could learn another one now, but I was only 20 then, and I was determined to learn good French. Mm. So, in fact, I spent most of the year I was there going to French events and trying to get off with French women who Obviously, couldn't speak English. English. Yeah. Therefore, you had to speak to them in French mm. if you wanted to impress them. 
And that's an interesting thing, is when you first have sex in a foreign language. Because <laughs> you can't say, oh, yeah, that's good. You, know, you have to hold it like that. Really? You just have well, a sympathy, just so they know. Yeah. <laughs> I think they've got a guess, though. <laughs> I went round a Greek island once, uh, thinking that I was saying good morning to everybody. And only after about a couple of weeks, my wife pointed out that actually good morning is Calimera, oh, yeah. uh, not Calimari. <laughs> so you go around asking for octopus yeah, yeah basically <laughs> uh, some people would come out of their houses and wave <laughs> oh, look here he comes the, uh, the squid man <laughs> I can say hello in Russian I'm quite proud of because uh, you have to say does your ass fit you very quickly <laughs> does your ass fit you <laughs> that's hello apparently <laughs> don't say it slowly no <laughs> <laughs> oh my word actually you know what I think I visited you when you were cycling around yes do you know I think you were yeah that's because you just were just for an afternoon yeah it was a, that was exactly the same time yeah, yeah. I remember you, you saying how much you were enjoying cycling all over oh, the command yeah. Well, it's a strange coincidence and you had a swimming you're... race you went for a, you had a swimming race against my daughter who was 14 at the time and it cost you 50 francs. <laughs> 50 <laughs> francs? 50 francs. You yeah, lost. I'll probably let her win, did I? <laughs> no. Well, tell her I'll take her on again. Okay. <laughs> 50 francs? Yeah, was, I did right you were there. so confident. <laughs> you were so sure you were going to win. And 50 francs was 50 francs in those She days. was at the time swimming for Kent. So it was. Oh, yeah, I suppose we, I never We rigged it. Yeah. We rigged it. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, what a red and lovely on one leg, I think. Ah, uh, yeah, on absolutely. one leg. Yeah. Take the I never think of them as having two legs. I suppose they no. do. But you only ever see the. Well, hang on. What do they? Why we only see them on one leg? Is it just because the two legs well, look the same? Uh, or? He can swap. He can swap legs. The other one's tucked away inside. Yeah, is it? They do they, they stand on up. one leg. Yeah, they tuck it up and uh, into their body. <laughs> Very handy. Yeah, I remember seeing them on the command, though. They looked fabulous. All right, there he goes. Go on, in, shoot, shoot. <laughs> He's got so it. have got a yoghurt and a flamingo. Yeah, you won't have any yoghurt by the time we get the next one. <laughs> like, oh, do flamingos like yoghurt? I don't know, we'll soon find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely, so what have we got next? Uh, I've got um, a pair of shorts, because... This reminds me of a particular lesson when I was at school, when I was, must have been about 10 or 11 or something. Yeah, something like that. And a particular lesson, I'm sure no one else who was in the class remembers this particular lesson, but it always stayed with me because um, at the time when we did PE, physical education, which was in the first floor of the school uh, upstairs... And when we, we used to do it in the hall, and then the boys would have to take their shorts off in order to do it. And we were only like nine or something, but it was beginning to become quite embarrassing because the girls didn't have to do that. They just did it in their skirts with us. But so we, all we boys were gingerly taking our shorts off. And one boy uh, got his shorts caught in the end of his foot and he sort of kicked them to get them off and they flew out the window, <laughs> which, of course, was the funniest thing any of us had ever seen. <laughs> of course. So the whole class erupted, screaming with laughter, and, and the boy, who uh, whose name I don't actually remember, what, do we, what should we call him, Mike? Stephen. Stephen burst into tears and felt awful, and we were all laughing at him, and then the, the, the class was in disarray until the teacher, Mrs Logan, 
said, right, shut up, all you boys, throw your shorts out the window, which surely was the most brilliant thing anyone's ever said. So, so now it was really hilarious. So we were really enjoying throwing our shorts <laughs> through the window, which must have been surprising to the class below seeing <laughs> sky raining boys shorts. And, uh, and then we had to troop down and get them back. In your pants. In our pants. But by then, right. we were all in our pants and the girls were laughing, so we didn't feel humiliated anymore and we were just having a, a good time. And even uh, Steve now seemed like a trailblazing hero. Yeah, of course. He's suddenly the man that everybody wants to be. And the, the phrase returns to me sometimes when I'm in a... You know, I think, oh, what should I do? Should I act uh, this or that? And uh, boys... Throw your shorts out the window. <laughs> There's a kind of wildness and a way of moving forward. So, yeah, I've, I've taken a pair of shorts with the flamingo and the yogurt. Very wise. Uh, yeah, that's sort of bravado myself. in life. It's, a, it's an yeah. important thing, isn't it? Sometimes you have to say, what the hell, I'll throw me shorts out the window. Yeah. You know, Particularly a, if you're searching for a laugh. Yes, of course, as you well. You have to take I, a risk. I, yeah, obviously. I'm, and I'm always searching for a laugh. I always was a bit. It reminds me of when I was in my first ever school play. It must have been, that was even earlier than that. That was when I was in Bermondsey. It must have been about nine or something. And the teacher said, we're going to do a production of Peter Pan in front of the other children at Christmas. I thought, oh, I was so excited. I went home and wrote my own version of Peter Pan, which was obviously unperformable. But the teacher said, well, you can be anyone you want. I thought, who shall I be? I don't want to be Peter Pan. That's really boring part. So I chose Captain Hook, obviously. And when I I came on, with my mother had made me a coat hanger sort of hook to be Captain Hook. And I came on intending to terrify everyone. But they all just started laughing. <laughs> At which point I thought, oh, well, maybe laughter's the thing that I deal in. Just out of interest, where did you go to school in Bermondsey? <clears throat> in it's Southwark Park Primary School. Uh, not it's... Ilderton Road School, which is where I went. Oh, really? So we were just round the corner from uh, each other. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Well, maybe we passed in the street sometime. Maybe right? our gang. So you're a Bermondsey boy? I'm a Bermondsey boy. Ah. You would never guess, would you? No. I sort of trained it out of myself. <laughs> Sadly. Well, if you went back there now, it's all rather posh. And, uh, it is, yeah. Well, I because I, where we grew up, the little block of flats was, was police flats. I mean, everyone there was children and were with the police and their families. Overlooked Surrey Docks, as it was then, mm. which had these huge ships, you know, masts, and, you know, the streets of Bermondsey were full of dockers. And, uh, yeah, my uncle's. Ah, well, they were dockers. Yeah, one of my uncles was as well, yeah. Yes. And in fact, uh, most of them lived in that area overlooking Temerera Street, Paradise. Yeah, I remember Jamaica Street. Jamaica Road. Jamaica Road, I mean, yeah. I lived on Jamaica Road when I was a... uh, Really? So you remember Southwark Park then? Uh, Very well. It had a fantastic Lido. Yeah, that's where I learned to swim. Ah, there we are. So we almost certainly... I think it's not there anymore, is it? it, It's not, no. 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 I'm a tooting Lido man now. Yeah. Or is it Lido? I never know how to say it. I don't know how to say it either. No, swimming pool, I think, is the way we say it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Outdoor pool. Yeah. Yeah. How extraordinary. What a small world. And we've known each other a long time, haven't we? Yeah. And that's that's never come up. No. Oh, right. Well, I remember those school shorts terribly well. I know exactly the shorts you're talking about. It was a strange world, wasn't it, school in those days? 
It was um, well. It was different from now, yeah. It, uh, well, but you, there was a particular time when you went from shorts to long trousers, wasn't yeah. there? When was that for you? For me, it was not until I must have been uh, fourteen or fifteen or something. I was a bit after the other. There were four of us left still wearing shorts. I remember. Yeah. And I liked. I still prefer shorts to long trousers, really, unless it's cold. Obviously, I always wear shorts all summer. Yeah. Even at sort of formal events, if I can get away with it. So you're not quite a postman, because they wear them all year round, don't they? Yeah, oh, some of them do, yeah. yeah. I was a postman for a bit. Were you? Yeah. <laughs> I had a, a, well, it was when I, yeah, I had a, a summer job as a postman. And then I worked nights, that's right, in the sorting office at one time. You ever worked nights? That's an interesting... I have thing. worked nights, yeah. What were you doing? I was working in a Schweppes factory. Um, yeah. Yeah. Basically stamping the date on the packaging for Schweppes bottles. Yeah, for sort of 12 hours at Pointlessly. night. Why didn't they just have a little thing on the machine that just went... Well, they would do now, obviously. Yeah. You should have mentioned that, and then you do come I think I did, now. and the man said, you, you're trying to do yourself out of a job, son. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I always think it'd be the work nights, like night porters, and it's a strange world, because I remember when I used to finish at seven in the morning or something, and you'd be coming on kind of half-tired, but you'd woken up a little bit by then, and, every, and you were just in a dream, and everyone was marching off to work, and you yeah. thought, oh, I'm not going to work, I'm going home. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? But it must be a different... I always think of, yeah, like night porters in hotels, uh, and they must see a few things, people coming in late and drunk or, you know... I've had a night porter in Barcelona once, who, when we came back to the hotel with my wife and I at about half past three in the morning, he told us to go back out again because it was too early. Hey. No, 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 too early. Go back, go back. <laughs> Barcelona, Barcelona. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, in Barcelona, of course, yeah. yeah well, the Spanish, they don't, yeah. I love that about the Spanish. Not early. They, they like a proper late night, don't they? I remember <laughs> yeah. I had a Spanish girlfriend once, um, briefly, and, uh, and I said, oh, should we meet for dinner? And she said, yeah, OK, I'll see you at, uh, at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's Spain for you. Yeah. Oh, well, here we go. We've got these uh, shorts. Oh, they're tiny. Tiny shorts. Yeah. Uh, grey? Yeah, that's right. Probably we've got a few stains on them and maybe yeah. a couple of marbles in the pockets. Perfect. There we are. i put your shorts inside the time capsule, which is lovely. So that's three items we've got in there. We've got a flamingo. We've got yogurt. Yeah. Yoghurt. Yoghurt. <laughs> and now we've got a pair of shorts. School shorts. So what's next for me? We're going to take a short break here for some adverts. We'll be back in a minute. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome back. Okay, let's find out what else Arthur would like to put into a time capsule. I've got a pair of black glasses uh, with no glass in them. Peter Sellers type glasses? Yes, uh, and I've only got them really because they remind me of an old friend of mine, uh, a comedian, a ne'er-do-well, a wild man, Malcolm Hardy was his name. And they always make me think, because he always used to wear uh, these thick black horn-rimmed glasses... And he died uh, about, ooh, how long ago is it now? Nearly 15 years ago, more than 15 years ago. He drowned in the River Thames, uh, where he was living on a boat at the time, which is entirely appropriate to Malcolm. And his funeral, which was attended by all the comedians of the time, and it was just the best gig I've ever been to or taken part in. Yeah. It was in St Alfred's in uh, Greenwich, a rather grand old church, and it was full of these wild comedians. And and Jules Holland played, and Joe Brand spoke, and Stuart Lee, and I co-presented it with the vicar, and we had a bit of a run-in. <laughs> um, but it, the, the feeling, because people were so shocked at his death, although he was such a wild man, it wasn't really surprising. You know, he'd done time in prison, and he was... Everyone had a Malcolm story. He ran the most notorious comedy club in London in the 80s called uh, the Tunnel Palladium because it was right next to the um, Blackwall Tunnel on the south side in the middle of a kind of wasteland with a, a great big gas place. And it was such an exciting place to play and terrifying too because because the hecklers used to meet up beforehand to plan heckles. You <laughs> get heckled in Latin, I remember once. <laughs> and they were so good, the hecklers, that I can think of a couple of occasions when the whole show was over in about ten minutes because the, every act had been booed off. <laughs> and Malcolm was the, the MC, the compare. And uh, it was just a wild place and Malcolm was such an extraordinary man there's so many stories about Malcolm uh, the stories about him are famous I mean everybody relates to them almost as if they were there don't they yeah uh, Dal- but you well, were of, there I, well I was there for some of them but that was one of the things about Malcolm I always realised that, that he never liked being on his own some people can't bear to be on their own so he always had someone with him when he was off on some ridiculous jaunt uh, he broke into a zoo <laughs> Uh, and try to steal an ape or something. He uh, famously nearly he got arrested for walking around the edge of a top ledge of a hotel when it turned out Michael Hesseltine was in one of the rooms. Not that Malcolm knew that. And he used to have a, and he's he was a man of the river. And I, you know, the River Thames is you know, a great defining thing in the head of a Londoner, obviously. Mm. 
And we always have this joke, even now, don't we, about North East South London. I'm pleased you're a South Londoner, mate. Yeah. Because these North Londoners are scum. <laughs> Trying to swim over the river to get to South London. <laughs> Keep them out. Yeah. I have a joke where I say, um, in North London, they have little blue plaques commemorating famous people. In South London, we have big yellow signs saying, did you see this murder? <laughs> and it's been a London joke ever since they started building South the River, I think. You know, yeah. It's a little... Every Londoner knows to joke about hating the people on the other side of the river. South of the river was where you went to to to, to really let your hair down. Yeah, and you're proud of that now, though. Yeah, you? absolutely. So I'm a militant South Londoner. <laughs> I, I, so I've actually genuinely claimed to people that I've never been north of the river. I remember once... <laughs> persuading a Canadian girlfriend who'd just arrived that I'd never... And she believed me. Mother, she also believed that there was wild tigers on Tooting Common. <laughs> so <laughs> she was quite easy meat for, yeah. <laughs> for telling lies to. Now, Malcolm Hardy, uh, I know several stories about Malcolm Hardy. Oh, let's have one I, of yours. But, uh, well, uh, that he got a man on stage and cut the bottom of his trousers off. And then oh, right, yeah, that was the end of the act. Yeah, that's a mess. Well, he, he also once urinated over a man who was asleep in the front row, uh, who was very pleased when he woke up, apparently, because he'd been the centre of attention. <laughs> he'd gone well, there. Malcolm was famous for taking his clothes off. Mm. and uh, He did the balloon dance famously, didn't he? Yeah, that was the one thing he was on telly with, yeah. uh, doing that. And also, he it was his fault, really, that I got arrested at a gig once. Yes. <laughs> I was leaving that there. That was a good pause. You were listening. I was listening. Well, I do these, even now, I do these late-night tours of the Royal Mile in Edinburgh uh, at the festival every year. And, I mean, these days I don't drink and the audience is sort of, you know, 40 or 50 and fairly seemly, even though it doesn't start till 2am. But but back in, back in the day, as you were unfortunately condemned to say but when you get beyond a certain age use that phrase back in the day but back in the day um, when I was doing this one it must have been in 1990 or something and I had about 200 people and I had a megaphone and then there was nudity and shouting and and Malcolm was always on it and he always used to take his clothes off and do his general de Gaulle impression where he put his glasses over his nose <laughs> and but he, I didn't realise at the time, but he always used to ring the police as the event was starting in order to sort of liven it up a bit. So there were often police turning up. And then on this occasion, I, I did get arrested. But <laughs> I'm actually quite proud of having been arrested at the end of a gig because it's just me and Lenny Bruce, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. And there's not many comedians who've managed to get arrested as they were just finishing the gig. There was, I once remember a time when you nearly got arrested, which is when you sang the Albanian national anthem naked in Bellum High Street. Oh, yes. The Moldovan national anthem. Moldovan national anthem. Yes, yes, that's right. Yes, no, but... I don't, for strangely enough, the naked bit, I remember, the national anthem has gone out of my mind. (laughs) Yes, this was a result of a bet I had with Tony Hawks, the comedian, where we were were round here at my place one time watching England v Moldova. So you could look up whenever that was. It was a long time ago. Mm. And Tony's a mad keen tennis player. And I said, yeah, you're good at tennis, Tony, but you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be able to beat any of this lot because they're all professional athletes. He said, I bet I could. And then came the bet 
the, the, he couldn't beat the whole of the Moldovan football team at tennis. And he then went off to Moldova and Israel and Ireland, chasing them all and playing them all at tennis. Yeah. Uh, with the idea that the loser of this bet had to sing the Moldovan national anthem naked outside Boots the Chemist in Ballam. And <laughs> Tony won the bet. But only just. I seem to remember that uh, on the night, because I was there. That, oh, um, you were there? That I was there, yeah. What, well, the I did the Moldovan national anthem? I was there. Oh, yeah. I didn't know My that. wife and I, we both came Especially because we thought we were going to see Tony Hawk's naked. But uh, sadly, it turned out to be you. Yeah. What would you mean, sadly? Why would you rather see Tony naked than me? My wife was very impressed. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the thing I remember about it is standing as a big crowd thinking, we're all going to be arrested in a minute. And then all the uh, CCTV cameras in boots slowly turning towards you. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I think Tony's still got a film of it somewhere. I've never seen it. Yeah, well, that's very interesting. That Malcolm Hardy has really moved you right through all sorts of areas. The thing I remember hearing about the Tunnel Club or the Tunnel Palladium yeah. is one of my favourite heckles ever. And I, I never went there, so I didn't see this heckle, but um, it was a man went on stage and said, I'm a schizophrenic, and somebody shouted, one, you both fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. There were, yeah, you get used to heckling over the years, I have. I actually recently heard the most terrible heckle I've ever heard, I think. It was, wasn't at me. It was a bloke who was on before me and he wasn't doing very well and he was quite old and suddenly a woman's voice rang out from the audience. Excuse me, I think you really need to think about the way your life is going. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, not just your act is terrible, so is the whole <laughs> point of your existence. Poor <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that's... I haven't seen him on the circuit since. So, dear Malcolm Hardy, I only met him briefly a few times, but he was a he was a wild man, wasn't he? Yes, he lived his life on the edge. He was reckless, uh, and I can I mean it, I don't think anyone in the end was very surprised. Is that there were various versions of his death that he he just won. He was a big betting man. He would won a load of change on a <laughs> on a one armed bandit, and he'd fallen into the river drunk. The, Coins dragged him to the bottom. That was one theory. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it was quite a shock. And uh, and the funeral was just such an extraordinary event. And oddly, not long after Malcolm died, uh, Linda Smith died. And somehow they're a bit yoked together in my head. The great Linda Smith, mm. the comedian, who, was, who died, sadly, much too young. And she was such an astute and brilliant comedian. And I'm going to give you two lines of Linda's that I've always loved. She, she had a great line about that. Uh, see, the problem in the Middle East is that somehow or other, our oil has ended up under their sand. <laughs> which, which, in a sense, encapsulates the whole of our dealings with, uh, with the Arab world. Yeah. And she also said, uh, if God had wanted us to believe in him, he would have existed. Because <laughs> she was the chair of the Humanist Society. That ends so, that argument, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, does that stuff one over. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> oh, my word. Yes, well, they are sorely missed, both of them, I think. Yes, and somehow that was the end of an era in the world of comedy in my head, somehow. After that, it all became a bit more kind of corporate and... Uh, you know the big, uh, the big agencies taking control of everything, and the strange, wild creatures that you used to see disappeared. 
Mm. Yeah, the other one. I've got, I've got one more. You've got one more that yes. you didn't enjoy. Well, I did at the time, except that, yes, this was, uh, I'm thinking of uh, a small hotel room in Cornwall, where I remember waking up one morning feeling probably happier than I'd ever felt before because I knew what the day awaited me. I was going to walk all the way along the cliffs. It was a sunny day. And at the end of it, I was going to... I had a rendezvous with a woman who I'd met about, you know, only a few weeks earlier. And we'd been only been on one date, but it was a sensational date. You know, just the best date you could possibly imagine. And she'd agreed to drive down and meet me in Cornwall at this hotel. So I was full of joy in this hotel room as I woke up. and But it, the reason why, in the end, I'm going to throw this hotel room away is that it all went horribly wrong with this woman. And six months later, I was nursing a broken heart and a midlife crisis and an absolute despair. And the hotel room in which I'd woken up in such joyous frame of mind, it now... It was now framed in a retrospective despair. It was mm. a bit like, look at... You know, Dante said... Uh, what did he say? He said a lot of things. Yeah, well, one of the things he said... He said, I've got nine heart. circles, nine circles. <laughs> come on, mix them up, pick a circle. <laughs> it was number seven, yeah. <laughs> no, but he said the saddest thing is, is to remember great times in moments of misery or something. Mm. That's a loose translation. Yeah, but he probably said it in French. Or possibly Italian. Maybe, that's it. Medieval Italian. I told you I was terrible at language. Uh, No, oh, actually, I'm going to quickly, before I carry on with the... No, this is a... I learned uh, once, when I was about 20, the opening lines of the Inferno in order to impress this Italian girl I was a bit besotted with. Yeah. Nel mezzo del gamin di nostra vita mi ritrovai per una selva oscura che la dedita via e la smarita. And to an Italian, that's like the equivalent of to be or not to be. It's the most famous bit of Italian literature. But unfortunately, she went off with my friend, despite <laughs> my efforts to... And I realised subsequently because it was I was trying to impress her by going to be or not to be easy question. You know, <laughs> yeah. That's what it would have sounded like to her. <laughs> so uh, this terrible actor, I know. Yeah, but you are an old romantic, though. Yes, yes, I love. I, I still feel a certain affinity with the nineteenth-century romantic poets, in a way that who started the idea of walking. I love walking, rambling. And that didn't really exist as an idea to do for pleasure until Wordsworth and Coleridge and all that lot started walking around the Lake District and whatnot. Yeah, I am a bit of a romantic, probably. I love reciting poetry. I've learnt a lot of poems by heart, which I now, funny enough, I put into stand-up sets. And nearly always the audience uh, entirely find it, it sort of mixes in quite well, even though I'm not looking for laughs in these. I'll recite you one, shall I? Yeah, yeah, because it's quite entrancing, I always think. You've got this uh, way of doing poetry that I really enjoy. Go on. Well, right, here, which one shall I do? I'll do... I'll do this is uh, uh, a poem by Philip Larkin called The Mower. The mower stalled twice. Kneeling, I found a hedgehog rammed up against the blades, killed. It had been in the long grass. 
I'd seen it before and even fed it once. Now I had mauled its unobtrusive world unmendably. Burial was no help. The next morning I got up and it did not. The first day after a death, the new absence is always the same. We should be careful of each other. We should be kind while there is still time. Lovely. Philip Larkin, he's great, isn't he? Yeah. Although his reputation, you know, he, was a, he wrote some stropping, unpleasant letters and things. But yeah, I think he, 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 I think he's generally one of the best four or five poets in the English language of the 20th century. I'd I say. had to read Midsummer Marriage. Oh, yeah. On, which was one of Michael Parkinson's choices for uh, a Radio 4 programme where ah. he picked his favourite pieces of literature. Ah, which that. one was that? Was Mid- Midsummer Marriage, it's called. I don't, I don't know. It's, a, it's a, talking about being on a train and what, going, going past. Yeah, no, but that, yeah, oh, I know that one. That's yeah. not called Midsummer. What's marriage, it called? Isn't it called. Um... <laughs> What's it called? Well, we've now turned into two old men. Two can't remember it. Who can't remember it. I always think that would be an interesting podcast. <laughs> just like, a bunch of old people go, yeah, it was, what was his name? It was the one who had that funny hat. And the, no, you know the one. He, once, he went to France, didn't he? The Dementia podcast. Yeah, yeah. You, see, you get a bunch of people who can't remember anything and yeah. let them have a chat. Yeah, well, actually, my mother, who has dementia, is immensely entertaining. She, because she's still very verbal. But she'll embark on a sentence and the grammar school girl in her still remembers to, despite the sun being a bit higher than normal, look, there's some trees. I like them. Trees are good, aren't they? And that's what I say. It's the sort of sentence she'll come out with. I'm making it up. She'll go off into a world of words. Just for the sake of it. Yes. And, you know, in her own mind, they make sense. and They sort of do a little bit sometimes. I'm a bit jealous in some ways of my mother because, you know, she doesn't know Donald Trump is or Brexit or coronavirus or... Uh, I was watching the news with her a while back uh, in her home where she's up the road and we were watching the news and I said, oh, mother, what a terrible world we live in. And she said, yes, I would hate it. Uh, yeah, I'm a bit jealous. I mean, I'm hoping I'm getting the dementia very soon. <laughs> I'm hoping I'm getting a dementia very soon. I'm hoping I'm getting a... Ever make a joke about dementia, just immediately repeat it. An extra <laughs> laugh. I've learned that over the years. That's it. Well, just before we leave it, this hotel room, you don't want to go into any detail of what went wrong with your this, this gorgeous girl you were going to meet. No, I think I'll uh, I'll do it. I don't want to. But I don't want to drag it back. And it, it wasn't her. I was kind of heading towards a bit of a midlife crisis anyway yeah. at the time. I think. Yes, and but she was the, the promise of what's the promise of what's going to come, and then probably yeah. as a result of your own behaviour, yeah, the thing falls apart, and you think so. Yeah. What could have been? Yeah. Well, that's a, that's the thing everyone thinks a bit, isn't it? Oh, what if I'd done that? Mm. Well, another way of looking at it is sort of, oh, I might have been that person and or made that amount of money. Or there's also, oh, God, imagine if that had happened. And I can think of several examples where if it had just been slightly different, I'd either be dead now or I would have been... Yeah. Funny enough, on my, talking about my alternative tours to the Royal Mile in Edinburgh, I did one again in the drinking years where I was standing on a, a balustrade just off the Royal Mile and and the audience was in front of me and I offered, as I used to do, a tenner for any 
man who was prepared to get up and sing Scotland the Brave with his top off. <laughs> and obviously a man, you mean, he did, but then a woman shouted, well, that's sexist, why haven't you offered any women? I said, well, fair enough, do you want it? And she got up, took her top off and sang Scotland the Brave and she was having a right laugh. Anyway, we moved on, but the next day, as I went past this place where I'd been doing this bit, I noticed there was a 40-foot drop immediately behind this balustrade. Wow. And I thought, oh, my God, I mean, they were both drunk, these two had done it. If that woman had just toppled backwards, she probably would have died. Yeah. And I would have spent the rest of my life feeling, well, who knows, I might even have been charged with something, I don't know, some sort of manslaughter, I'd encouraged her to do it. Mm. I mean, she chose to, but, but anyway, I would have had, you know, that guilt playing out in my mind for the rest of my life. Yes. We all have those moments in life, though, mm. the moments where you were so close to something going terribly wrong yeah. and thinking, oh, my word, that was lucky. Yeah. I once was looking at the Houses of Parliament and... Mm knew that I had to go across the road, but I thought I was still on the pavement, and I turned to walk towards the curb, and I was on the curb. Oh. And a police van went past me Oof. and actually took the skin off my nose. Oh, blimey. With its uh, wing mirror. Yeah. I, 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 it just, the wing yeah. mirror went right across yeah, my nose, yeah, and yeah. I was a fraction of a second away yeah, from away from right death. in front of it. Yeah. And then, oh, Mike Fenton Stevens, you heard he's been run over. Run over yeah. by a police van. Yeah. They finally got him. <laughs> and and uh, my own mother's death was uh, was uh, extremely absurd. Was it? Well, what happened? Uh, she got run over by her own car. Oh, my goodness. A man really? was helping her move it. And it, it was an automatic car. He'd never driven an automatic car before. Something went wrong. And it went back and hit her. Oh, and she was killed. You, know, you can be furious about that. You can blame the man. You can blame mm. all sorts of things. But I like to think of it, and it's been very useful for me to think of it, in those senses, in that terms yeah. of, well, yeah. we're all so close to yeah. those sort of things happening in our lives. Yeah. But actually, this is just an occasion where it did happen. Yeah. And it's bad. How old was she? When was that? Uh, she was in her mid-80s, you know, oh, 86, right. so it but was it was a few years back now, you know, yeah, about yeah. four or five well, years ago. It must have been heartbreaking for you. It was heartbreaking, you know, but then so is anybody losing their, their parent. Yes, you know, it's it heartbreaking. Yeah, well, but, um, you know, it was sudden. Yeah. But actually, a lot of people go through really long-term watching their parents slowly deteriorate, yes. and that can be far more heartbreaking, maybe. Yes, I, I remember know. my own father, when he was... It was not long, but he was uh, diagnosed with sort of stage four cancer, and, and, he, was at, and he, had, he was at home, though, and in the last couple of months. And I remember when I was staying there helping look after him he was okay but he'd kind of gone off into a netherland somewhere between life and death I think that happens often to people uh, and he's sleeping a lot and I remember going to his room and he suddenly kind of woke up and said I've been thinking about religion and I said what? but then he went back to sleep and then a few minutes later downstairs I thought, oh, he said I've been thinking about religion and he'd never been a religious man and I remember I went up and sat by his bed, he was still asleep, I said, I don't know what happens, Dad, when we die, but hey, maybe you're off cycling in Devon again with your old friend Morris, and Mum will come by soon, and we all will, and and then, and a, there was a little smile flickered on his face, and then he died later that night. Wow. So I like to think that, yeah. You helped him. Well, yeah. You just I, gave him a moment of comfort. Yeah, that? yeah, I mean, because I'm with Julian Barnes, I... 
I don't believe in God, but I miss him. <laughs> yes. It'd be nice. It'd be easier if I if you believed. I think in a, in it would be so much more simple, wouldn't it? Yeah. If you just went, it's okay. I, we're all going to meet up again. Yeah. My mum did believe that. Yeah. Well, so then, so yeah. she would have died, I believe, happily. Yeah. Because she cleaned the the toilets in the church, and she did it on a regular oh, uh, really? occasion. She every week she would go and clean the toilets of the church. Mm-hmm. And when I said to her, "Mum, you're getting too old for this. It's not good for your knees and everything," she said, "No, no, no." He, he, he's watching, he, he always needs someone who'll clean his toilets. Oh. And I rather stupidly said, do you think there are toilets in heaven, Mum? <laughs> and she looked crestfallen. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm sure there are. <laughs> because she, she, it had not occurred to her yeah, yeah, that heaven yeah. wouldn't be like the, like the world. Yeah, well, what is heaven like? What do we know? No, but uh, that's what she wanted. That's yeah. the way she wanted heaven to be. Yeah. But so for her, that's, that was heaven. That would have been heaven if she could have gone up there and everybody she knew was there and it was all fine. Yeah. And there was no pain in your knees. And, and she would happily clean the toilets. I'd clean the toilets because I get great pleasure in doing that yeah. for people. Yeah. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Here's to your mum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can leave us. We're going to close up the time capsule because we've got that awful hotel room and we've got a flamingo <laughs> yeah. and, a, and a yogurt and we've got a pair of shorts. trousers, a pair of shorts and we've got lovely Malcolm Hardy. And I think that's a... Fantastic time capsule, but I'd like to ask you to leave us with, um, with a poem. All right, well, this, um, this is a poem that I like to say at the end of a gig, you know, when it's usually at the end of the day, and um, it's, you know, you've had a day, you got through it, and you did some good moments, you didn't do anyone any harm, and it was, uh, it's called Happy the Man, and it was written by John Dryden in 1650. Happy the man, and happy he alone. He who can call today his own. He who, secure within, can say, Tomorrow do thy worst, for I have lived today. Be fair or foul, or rain or shine, The joys I have possessed, in spite of fate, are mine. Not heaven itself upon the past has power, But what has been has been, and I have had my hour. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Arthur. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Michael Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Arthur Smith. This program was produced and edited by John Fenton-Stevens, and the music was by Past the Peas Music. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then please subscribe to it on the Acast Player or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us and find behind-the-scenes photos and extra content on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at MyTCPod. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Fenton Stevens. My Time Capsule is a cast-off production. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join me again next time. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.